think we're going to go straight into the Word this morning because I feel like God wants to equip us to take another step in being able to overflow. And uh, we're kind of in this series or theme, I guess, have been until this week where we uh, have been looking at church as a family and uh, I felt like it would be really helpful to talk a little bit about the mess that we started to talk about last week <laughs> in spiritual parenting and got some tools to help us to deal with the mess. Actually, I think, Holly, I'll probably steal the, uh, steal the screen share because that'll be easier for me to know where I'm going than for you. <laughs> course that assumes I know where I'm going but um, we'll see won't we so we talked a little bit about church as a family didn't we and uh, let's just do this yes and one of the key things that we said uh, about doing church as a family is that that church is messy <laughs> because you and I have mess in our lives, don't we? And so I think it would be helpful for all of us not only to acknowledge that we've got mess, but to learn a little more of what to do with it. Is that okay? So I've called this uh, tools for, for dealing with life's mess. And um, my goal is that we learn to use them on ourselves. And then we can make them available to use on one another but more importantly, that we're going to learn to use them for our spiritual children. Remember, one of the key themes of our time uh, together in these last few weeks has been that God has called every one of us to be a spiritual father and mother to many others. And uh, he's beginning to show us who we are to invest ourselves in, in order for us to be able to, to help them grow. Okay, so we've got some tools this morning. In fact, I've got three tools that I'm going to unpack for you just real sort of simply. The third one will take a little longer, but the first one is the tool of forgiveness. The tool of forgiveness. Because this is how we all got started, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I trust that you have received forgiveness for the ways that you haven't followed God before today. And I trust that's how you started your journey with Jesus. We receive forgiveness from God. What it is, is God releases what was wrong. He lets it go. So all the things that you and I have confessed to God are gone. I expected a slightly more excited reaction to that. <laughs> yes. Hallelujah. Because every one of us has received forgiveness for sin. Okay? That it's in the it's in the Bible, <laughs> surprisingly. First John one verse nine. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why I said they're gone. Because if something's cleansed, it's not still dirty. Yes, Mark. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you're doing dishes, if the dish is clean, it's not still dirty, right? If it is still dirty, it comes back around again, doesn't it? I did enough dishes, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's remember, that's why I put this slide up here. Let's remember how he does that. It's nothing to do with you or me. It's nothing to do with how well you confessed or whether you stopped doing what you were doing or any of that. He does it because of the cross. Yeah? So the cross is the detergent, if you like, that washes the sin away. It depends on Jesus and not on me. Good news. Second verse that's also important for us to remember as we talk about receiving forgiveness for our sin is um, James 5, verse 16, where James tells us, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is why God places us in family, in community, in relationship with other people. He actually wants you not just to confess your sin to Father God, but to confess your sins to one another. Now, of course, most of us recognize that when the Reformation happened, we kind of kicked out the confessional box where you had to go and find a, a qualified person to go and tell your sins to. Now, that still goes on, and that's fine. <laughs> if it helps people to realize that their sins are forgiven, that's great. If it's all about working to get rid of it, then that's not so helpful. But when we kicked out the confession box... Unfortunately, we also kicked out James 5 verse 16, and we try and deal with our sin just on our own. So let me tell you something. If you're only confessing your sin to God, it's probably going to come back. Anybody else besides me experience that? Yeah, okay. But when you confess it to somebody else and it gets out in the light, and they say, God says you're forgiven, and I agree with him, Something powerful happens because God didn't design us to do this on our own. Got to be very careful not to preach every single point here because I've got several things I want you to get. But forgiveness is the beginning. And receiving forgiveness for my sin is the beginning of the beginning. The second thing that we need to understand about forgiveness is that we need to forgive and release others. In other words, I need to do for you what God has done for me. And you need to do for me what God has done for you. We need to release. We need to let go. Ira, you're standing. This is very helpful. Because you see, if, if I offend Ira, let's, let's suppose Ira offends, let's make it even more unbelievable. If Ira offends me, that's not going to happen, is it? All right? But I'm holding offense against Ira because he offended me. Now, I've got a problem. I've got a problem because now I get to do whatever Ira does because I'm hanging on to Ira. Yeah? Well, I would have done, but I... Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere he goes, I get dragged around. And I don't have any control over it until I choose to do what? To release, to let go. Restoration. <laughs> God is a God of redemption. Thank you. Thank you for volunteering to help in that way. You see, Matthew 6, verse 12, when Jesus is teaching us some of the things we need to talk to God about, he says we're to say to God, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
Uh-oh. <laughs> right? So for most of my young life, I was actually saying to God, because we said this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, every morning in, in school. I'm that old. <laughs> and it was England. But I would say every morning, would you not forgive me because I'm not forgiving them? That's not what the words said, but that's what I was doing. And guess what? I was binding myself into all the stuff I was doing wrong. Because unless we're willing to do for others what God has done for us, we leave ourselves in bondage. So forgiving others and releasing others is vital, isn't it? Ephesians 4 verse 32, Paul says, Forgive as Christ forgave you. This is that principle of forgiving in advance. Jesus has already forgiven you for some of the sin you haven't committed yet. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? <laughs> I'm thankful for that. Yeah, it doesn't mean that he's inviting you to go sin. Don't twist it. But when we choose to forgive in advance, we're putting into practice what Jesus has already done. The third thing is perhaps the hardest, forgiving myself. Let's have a moment of transparency. How many of us beat ourselves up over the things we got wrong? Okay, I'm talking to the right people. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore there is now plenty of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Romans 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? I can. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Forgive yourself. In other words, if you think back to that picture with the hand with the bird in it, you've got to let go of all that stuff you're hanging on to. Because until you let it go, it can't fly away to where God wants it to go. <laughs> You're going to still have it. We need to forgive ourselves. And then the fourth area is releasing God. You see, sometimes, and we're not saying God needs forgiveness because God doesn't ever do anything wrong. <laughs> but Proverbs, what's the reference here? I looked it up again. Proverbs 19 verse 3. When a man's folly, here I am. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. So when I get stuff wrong, I tend to hold it against God and blame God for it. And I need to learn to say, God, that wasn't you. I release you from my blame so that then I've got open hands and empty hands that can receive all that God wants to give me. So practicing forgiveness is one of the first things we can do as we deal with the mess that's associated with showing up here every Sunday and bumping into imperfect people. You look around you, you might be the only perfect person in here this morning. Look at the rest of them. <laughs> this is why I stand at the front, to give you plenty of example that we're not to be perfect. But forgiveness is what we use. It's a little bit like if we spill something over there at the refreshment table. We go get a dustpan and we kind of sweep it up and then we throw it away. We release it to where it belongs. Yeah? That's what God wants us to do with sin is to forgive it. To receive forgiveness for ours, to give forgiveness to one another, to give forgiveness to ourselves and to release God from any blame. So let's pause for a moment and take an action. Let's close our eyes. 
and say, God, I don't want to be short on forgiveness in any way. And so which area of forgiveness do you want to highlight for me right now so that I can apply forgiveness to that? Maybe I need to receive your forgiveness in a fresh way. Or maybe there's someone that you're bringing to mind or some situation you're bringing to mind where I need to release that to you and offer my forgiveness. Or maybe I need to turn it on my own heart and say, yeah, I'm going to forgive myself for the things I got wrong. Those things I wake up in the night and think about. I'm going to let that go. Let you take it away. The ways that I speak to myself again and again over the past. I'm going to let it go now. Or maybe for some of us, God, I feel like I've been blaming you for something that didn't work out. and I want to place the blame where the blame is due and release you from that blame. Whichever of those areas it is, Father, we're coming to you and we're just opening our hands now and letting that bird fly away. We're bringing what was wrong to you, the one who makes all things right. So we release it now as we forgive. Because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. There's a second tool that goes right along with this. And that's giving our pain to God. You see, pain came into the human experience because of sin. That's the connection between forgiveness and pain. Adam sinned, pain resulted. You can read about it in Genesis 3. I'm not going to read about it for the sake of time, but I think we all understand pain in our lives is a consequence of sin. Would that be true to say? We all experience pain because there's sin in the world. So we all, if, if you're alive, you've got mess. If you're alive, you've got pain. The question is, what do we do with that pain? And I want to show you something that will help you with that. So to help us do that, I'd like you to reflect for just a second on what is the most painful memory you have that you can recall. What's the most painful memory? I don't mean to be triggering in any way. If you need to pick a less painful one, you can. But what's the most painful memory? And we won't go around the room to find out, but I guarantee you that for the majority of us, there are people attached to that pain. It's just the way it is, right? You don't need the detail of what the pain is. Let's recognize, though, the principle that there are often people attached to the pain. But pain doesn't have to be a mountain that we keep climbing because if we forgive the people and release the pain, you see how these two are similar? Forgiveness is a releasing, but we also release the pain to God. As we do those two things together, God will set us free. Jesus uh, in Mark 11 talks about mountains and shifting things that can't be shifted. And so often our pain is that kind of mountain that we find it hard to climb, don't we? That emotional pain especially where it keeps on coming back. But he says to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen. Have no doubt in your heart. But I tell you, you can pray for anything 
And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. So turn with me for a second to Psalm 142. And let's look at how King David did what I want us to learn to do together. Because Psalm 142 is David pouring out his pain to God. Psalm 142 was, uh, many of your Bibles will have, it's a maskil of David when he was in the cave. In other words, the king's after him, he's a fugitive, everybody hates him, his life's in danger, and he's all alone. Now, okay, a little further down the line, he gets joined by a bunch of other people who are in the same straits, but David's in a tight place in Psalm 142, and he's pouring out the pain of that to God with honesty and with transparency. What does it say? With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice... I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. I want you to catch how different this is from how most of us have been taught to behave in church. We don't need a show of hands on this one, but how many of us took great care to make sure we were presentable before we arrived today? How many of us are taking care to make sure that the truth about where I'm really at <laughs> doesn't really come out while everyone else is watching. Yeah? <laughs> I'm sure it's not just me. But David is different here, isn't he? I, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you, God, know my way. In the path where I walk, they've hidden a trap for me. You feel the pain of people being against him and experiencing that rejection. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Did you catch what I called this at the beginning? It's a maskil of David. A maskil is a worship song. So this is how David is worshipping. Now, Jane and the team have just led us in some beautiful worship. Can you imagine them leading in this? No one cares for my soul. He's being real. He's being honest. He's being truthful with God. And in the giving of the truth to God, the pain that's attached to the truth is going to God as well. Let's read on. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. So as David is pouring out his pain to God, what's happening is that God is taking it and he's bringing, instead of pain, he's bringing bounty. He's bringing presence. He's bringing comfort 
And David, although he's pouring out the pain, is no longer empty and alone. He's with God, and God is meeting his needs. It's an exchange that's going on. As David pours out his heart pain, God meets him right there and pours in what he needs in that painful time. Too often we have not learned how to do that. But what goes on when we do is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles. I remember quite vividly the Sunday morning after 9-11. We were in Toronto. Most of the leadership team were away at a leaders' conference and stuck here in the States because all the flights were stopped. We had a lot of Americans with us that week because Rodney Howard Brown was using our building for a big conference, and they were all stranded. Um, And Rodney stayed till the end of the conference, did a great job of helping people process through the pain of not knowing what's going on and feeling afraid and so on. But on the Sunday morning, the three of us that were left had to lead the, the, the service on Sunday morning, and we focused in on that particular verse. How God is the God of all comfort, and he comforts us in all our troubles. And we taught people to speak out to God what it was that was causing pain and anxiety and and, and heaviness uh, in their hearts. And as they poured it out to God, there was this great inpouring of God's comfort to the people in the congregation. It was a beautiful time to see that happen. You see, when God pours in, there's a lot more to it than us pouring out. And that's what he wants every one of us to experience with any level of pain that we're feeling. When we're honest with him about it, when we give it to him, he gladly takes it. And he doesn't hold back. He pours in his life, his love. So let's take a moment now Just quietly, if you want to whisper it under your breath, you can do that. Or just quietly in your heart, be honest with God about an area of pain. Maybe it's a a relationship that distresses you. Maybe it's a past memory that you just can't seem to shift. Maybe it's something that you're afraid about in in the weeks ahead. Or whatever it may be, there is pain in our hearts for us. And as we tell God about it, Let's see it literally being lifted away. We're pouring it out to him. We're giving him that pain. And let's allow his comfort to flow into our hearts in its place. Just be quiet for a moment as we do that. Jane's going to play quietly.
pour out my complaint to you, Lord. I tell my pain before you. I cry to you and I say, you are my refuge. You are my portion. Attend to my cry. Deliver me. Bring me out of the prison of pain that I can give thanks to your name. Hallelujah. Thank you. You can do that any time, any place. Just do it. <laughs> but don't not do it. Because God is longing for us to allow our pain to go to him. It goes right along with forgiveness, but it's another step of release. And then having released, we're then free to embrace. We're free to receive, but God wants us to embrace the whole truth. So the idea of exchanging God's truth for my lies is something that we've taught on many times before, and you're probably familiar with it to some degree. But I want to take it just a little bit deeper this morning, and hopefully this will be something that is another step forward, another tool for us to use on ourselves, but also on one another and on those we lead. In John 1... Verse 14, it says that Jesus, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Sorry, I should have put that up so you could read it. And in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then one more. John 8, 31 and 32, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The challenge for most of us is that we've read that, and yet it hasn't fully worked yet. And I want to suggest it's because we need to grow in our experience of Jesus, who is more real, more true than every lie that you and I believe about ourselves or about the world or about other people. You see, the problem is that there's that creepy one, isn't there? <laughs> you saw him in Genesis 3. The, the sneaky, creepy one, the snake, the, the accuser, the liar, the one who speaks half-truth. 
apologies to those who don't like pictures of snakes, but it's important that we feel repulsed by half-truth. John 8:44. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's the one who drew us to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember we touched on that last week or the week before, didn't we? How even when it's good, if it's from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where I'm in control, in charge of deciding what's right, it's not really right. You see, the knowledge of good and evil is only half truth. And too many of us know the half-truth about ourselves, but we don't know the whole truth of what Jesus says about us. I know the truth of the things I've done wrong. I know the truth of the things where I've fallen short. I know the truth of relationships that are strained. I know the truth of, of past stuff that I wish hadn't happened. All of that, it's all true. It's all there in the history. But that's only half the truth. Jesus is full of truth. Let's get rid of the snake. <laughs> the one who is full of truth invites us to know the truth. He's full of truth. And if you look at your own thought process, I'd like you to begin to recognize the times where it's just the half truth you're holding on to and you've neglected to get the whole truth. Because God wants us to get the whole truth from him this morning. He wants us to know the truth. Interesting, if you look up the word uh, knowledge in Hebrew and in Greek, it's not just head knowledge. It's about experience. It's experiential knowledge. So God doesn't want you just to be trying to do your best to read a truth out of here. Yes, this is true, but if it's only my mind that's trying to hold on to it and I've not experienced it from God into my life, it's still only a half-truth. There is more to truth. And the whole truth begins with your identity. Who you are who God says you are. The truth begins with identity. We choose our experiences. You know, when the Bible talks about being filled with the spirit of life, who is also the spirit of truth. Let me give you an example of what I mean by getting hold of the whole truth. You know, if you were full of the spirit of ice cream. Yeah, I see that hand. You'd be full of ice cream. You'd have been eating it, right? If you're full of the spirit of barbecue. Going for other hands now, but... You've been receiving barbecue, right? In, in the same way, the spirit of love... The Holy Spirit is as tangible as ice cream or barbecue. We receive Him. Love is not some 
wafty concept that you know makes the lights go dim or or we just celebrate by giving a card this remember gentlemen it's coming it's right next week <laughs> the ladies haven't forgotten but gentlemen don't forget February 14th is just around the corner. But love is much more than just a little card. It's an experience of giving and receiving, isn't it? And like I say, the whole truth begins with your identity. You see, way back now, gosh, it was before I met you, wasn't it, when I read that book? There's a book called Heinz Feet on High Places, old classic book that talks about the journey from being afraid to being complete in him. It's an allegory, but you know what? God often uses that allegory to speak to people's hearts because you, 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 you let down the Bible study gate that we sometimes have when we turn to the Scripture. When you're just reading a story, God kind of sneaks in through the back door and goes, ha, let me show you something, right? <laughs> the ones who love to read Christian fiction are cheering at this point. I see that hand. <laughs> but there's this book called Heinz Feet on High Places. And in the end of the story, the, the, the little lady, the gal in the story, gets given this whole new name by God because he transforms her identity. He transforms her, I'm trying to remember now, from much afraid into something else. Grace and glory, I think it is. And that is her new name. And so she goes by this new name as she receives a sense of identity from the good shepherd, Jesus. And very often, God will speak identity to people as they're reading the story. And that's what happened for me. God gave me a sense of identity, a fresh identity that wasn't something that I knew before that. But he gave me a name that I've held on to all these years. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. But he gave me a name that has carried me through seasons where I've needed to remember, yeah, that was God. And he showed me who I am. And he's built on that foundation again and again and again. So it's my identity that carries me through the hard times. It's my identity that carries me into the whole truth rather than the half-truth. And so over that season of time, that sense of identity as a son of God, that's why the Father Heart School is so valuable, actually. It's not just because you get your head straightened out on your theology of who God is. It's that you experience tangible love from your Father in the context of a whole group of folks who are receiving that love. And I know some of you are still to register for that, but I encourage you to do that because it's going to be vital. But when it says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free... That word for knowing, the Greek word is gnosko. It's used in Matthew 1, verse 25. And we have younger ears in the room, so I'm not going to get too detailed about it, but it says that Joseph didn't know Mary until she gave birth to Jesus. So the adults can think that one through and recognize that this is nothing to do with head knowledge. He didn't know, you know, her favorite food. <laughs> On that kind of level, it was a whole different kind of knowing that wasn't happening until Jesus was born. But it's the, the very same word. And so what I want to show you is that when Jesus wants you and I to receive truth, there's an implantation of truth that takes place. 
that we receive and allow it to grow until it comes to birth. It starts with your identity, but very often it goes much wider than that. This is not head knowledge, but knowing the whole truth is a heart process. It's very powerful what Paul says about uh, the, the Gentiles in Ephesians 4. He says, now this I say, this is verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. That's a very strong word, by the way. It's almost like he's shouting at us. If you look at what that word testify means. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. You see, in my mind, I can eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In my mind, I can grasp half-truth. But my heart has to engage for it to become the whole truth. Because knowing in Scripture is experience and not just cognitive agreement. It is cognitive agreement. I'm not saying our minds are not important, but our minds need help to embrace the whole truth. And that is what I think God wants us to, to grasp together this morning. He says, They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Remember the futility of their minds, the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So Paul is insisting, don't do that split your heart and mind thing, where your heart gets hard and your mind thinks it knows everything. He's saying that's highly, highly dangerous for the believer. God created you for your heart and your mind to work together to embrace the whole truth. When Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was right there with them. He was tangible. They were interacting with him. They were living with him. They were experiencing him being the way, the truth, and the life. And it's the same for us in the Spirit. See, when I limit my knowledge just to my intellect, I'm embracing that half-truth, the knowledge of good and evil. To become free, like Jesus promised, I must experience intimacy with Jesus where he reveals and imparts truth to me. About my identity, about how much I'm loved, about his plans and his purpose for me, and about his ability to set me free from anything that's held me back. Okay, I said I mustn't preach too long on all these points, so I'll move it on. Information leads to accusation whether in myself or among other people. Well, I know what you look like. That's what the Pharisees did, wasn't it? They had lots of information. They had the, the Jewish Bible, the first two-thirds of this, and they were very good at pointing the finger at other people because it was the hardness of, of their hearts left them only dealing in the futility of their minds. God doesn't want us to do that. That's the rest of John 8, by the way. They knew the Scripture, but they didn't know God. And their half-truth led them to crucify Jesus. But here's the important thing. It's revelation that leads to transformation. You can work hard at information. You can work hard at intellect. You can even get degrees. That's why cemetery, seminary is sometimes so disastrous for people. <laughs> That's not really fair for me to 
point fingers when I didn't actually go to one, but anyway, there we go. I do have two theological degrees. They've done me very little good. Love is tangible. Love is as real as the ice cream I was talking about earlier that some of you got excited about. And is much better too. So you can force knowledge, but you can't force revelation. Knowledge opens the eyes of my mind, but revelation opens the eyes of my heart. That's what I mean when I say our third tool is to embrace the whole truth. And do you know how that revelation happens? It often happens through other people. That's why we need one another. That's why we want to learn these tools together. Is because God will give revelation to somebody else. And they'll share it so we can all enjoy it and we can all grow through it. Paul prayed for those Ephesians that he was telling them not to get stuck in the futility of their minds. He prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And so our final kind of step of action, if you like, is we're going to ask God to show us a lie that we still believe and then to speak his truth to us, not just as head knowledge, but as heart revelation too, so that we can embrace it, let him implant it in us and give it room to grow. Let me tell you one quick story. Some of you have heard this, but just to help you see what we want to do. When I was in, well, I guess it would be the English equivalent of middle school. It was my first year of senior school in the UK. I went to the kind of all-boys school where you had to do your homework every night, and you, the teacher would take the first five minutes to mark the homework in the class the next day. And I'm sitting in a geography class. I'm a very insecure 11, 12-year-old, and I don't know Jesus yet. but I've done the wrong homework. I guess I'd been staring out the window instead of paying attention or something. I've drawn a beautiful map of a fruit farm in Kent and everybody else has done something else. So the teacher comes by and he looks at my beautiful map and he says, oh, that's wrong. Puts a red line through it with his pen and writes zero in the corner, moves on. He didn't expose me to the class in any way, but it was like a knife went through my heart in that moment. And I said to myself, I'm no good because my work's no good. Now that lie took root and grew, even after I'd come to to Christ in university. And any time anybody questioned something that I had done, I would react out of the pain of that initial hurt, out of the lie that I believed. Because there's no Bible verse that says I'm no good because my work's no good. (laughs) Right? God's truth is something completely different. So it wasn't until years later when Jane and I were doing the the, the thorough Restoring the Foundations ministry that some of you have experienced and are familiar with, where you take a whole week to look at all the things that might be holding you back and God wants to set you free from. One of the key areas they focus in on is the lies that we believe, the ungodly beliefs. And we came to that three-hour session for me on that day, and I walk in and they say, Mark, we're we're not going to have time to deal with all of your ungodly beliefs in these three hours. 
because we've been making a list since we've been talking with you. <laughs> so we've written them all down for you. You can take the rest away as homework. But one of the ones we will focus on is this one here, that I'm no good because my work is no good. Can you recognize that that's a lie? Now, this is probably, what, 20 years later, if not more. I've lived in the, 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 the stealing of that lie for 20 years. They said, why don't you ask God to forgive you for believing that lie? You go, Gladly, I'll do that. That's where we started this morning, right? Ask God to forgive us. And forgive those who did that to you. So I forgive my teacher and, you know, whatever. And then let's ask God to show you the truth. Not as just a mental concept, but actually reveal his truth to you. And so as they begin to pray and as I begin to ask God to show me his truth, have you ever had a kind of action replay of something in your past where God shows you the action replay from a slightly different angle? That's what happened to me. God gave me an action replay of me doing that homework. But from the different angle, I could see that God was watching me do that homework and smiling. And this really puzzled me, you know, because why would God smile at Mark getting it wrong? Well, of course, I was seeing it completely differently than God was seeing it. I said, Father, what is it you want to speak to me out of this action replay? What truth are you revealing to my heart and he said, Mark, I delight in your creativity. It's a reflection of my image in you. And in the moment he said that, all of the pain just went, like we were just demonstrating this morning. And that truth took root deep in my heart, that God delights in my creativity. Because it's a little reflection of him. It's not a perfect reflection by any means, but he loves it. He was smiling at the way I was drawing the map. He didn't care it was the wrong map. Because <laughs> he doesn't have a clipboard where he's checking off all the things you got wrong. He has open arms that want you to flourish and succeed and grow into who he's made you to be. And that's what happened in my heart through that time. It was a revelation that led to transformation. It was a beautiful thing. So... Let's be quiet just for a moment. We're going to take communion when we've done this because we want God to put a seal on all of what we've talked about this morning. But let's deal with a lie first, shall we? Why don't we all go home more free with a greater embrace of the whole truth? So let's close our eyes. Because this has been so fundamental to Jane and to me, it's, there's always a, a freedom when we ask God to do this. So, Father, would you show each of us the lie you want to deal with in my heart, and in my mind, right now, this morning? Just nudge me and remind me what that lie is. Father, would you forgive me for believing that lie? Forgive me as I forgive anybody else who contributed to that. Maybe someone who spoke it over me again and again, or maybe someone who didn't do what they could have done to 
undo that lie when it was first planted. So I forgive those who contributed, but I receive your forgiveness right now for believing this lie. And then I want to break my agreement with it. You may even want to speak it out, you know, not as loud as anyone else can hear it, but I just break my agreement with that lie that I'm no good because my work's no good. You know, if you want out of a legal agreement, <laughs> you have to break it. You have to sign off to, to be set free from it. So, Father, we break our agreements with those lies right now. But would you show me your truth right now in this moment? How do you want to surprise me <laughs> with a truth from you to replace that lie? Remember, this is not about you trying harder to remember a scripture that contradicts. <laughs> this is about your heavenly Father giving you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So speak to my heart now, Father, please, with your revelation of truth. Simply accept what he shows you. You may not understand it yet, that's okay. This is the eyes of your heart, not the eyes of your mind. Your mind can catch up later. <laughs> but let your heart see what God is showing you in this moment. Maybe jot down something you can capture that you can then talk with God about it some more at a later time. Father, right now, would you impart and implant in each of our hearts your truth? Because we're choosing today, as a tool to deal with the mess in our lives, and the mess that we'll encounter in our lives, we're choosing to embrace the whole truth, the truth that Jesus brings the truth that comes from your heart rather than the half-truth that my mind alone comprehends from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Father, thank you that you're in the business of transformation. And you're taking each of us a step further on that journey this morning. So if you're willing to just put your hand on your heart, <laughs> I'm going to say, Father, let this truth grow. The truth of who you are. The truth of who I am in you. 
the truth of how much you love me. The truth of your good plans for my life. Just feel him doing that right now. All over this room. He's planting truth in us that will grow. And I'm going to suggest a slightly unusual visual, but Jesus gave us communion as a visual of what he's done. <laughs> this broken, dry stuff, yes, it represents the body of Jesus, but it could also represent the, the broken half-truth that you've said goodbye to today. <laughs> so you could say goodbye to half-truth as you receive Jesus in its place and then the juice represents the whole truth the blood of our Lord Jesus poured into your life and mine to set us free and to fill us with life so I'm going to invite you to come forward and I'm going to suggest that you just find someone to pray for you after you've received. So why don't you receive as you come forward and then have someone pray with you. Can you help me with that, Ira? Jane, come and help. And a couple others too. Just have folks, after you've received, go and let someone pray with you. I'll be glad to pray as well when I finish serving the elements. But come on forward to receive his life. Come forward and receive his life and then have someone pray with you because this is a community thing. <laughs>